when my husband and I separate after five years of marriage, he stays in our home in the Boston suburbs and I rent an apartment in town. And as it turns out, without knowing it, I move directly across the street from the woman my husband is having an affair with. <laughs> now, for months, I suspected he was having an affair, but my husband kept denying it and telling me I was imagining things, and I just felt crazy. So one day, after I move into this apartment, I say to God, you know, God, I just don't want to feel crazy anymore. If he's having an affair, please let me know it. And if he's not having an affair, please help me trust him. And three days later, I'm driving to the School of the Museum of Fine Arts, where I'm a part-time art student, and I see my husband's car on the side of the road. It's this little white Alfa Romeo. You can't miss it. And there's a woman putting something in my husband's car. And the first thing I do is throw my hands up in the air and say, thank you, God, I am not crazy. <laughs> and then I pull over. And I say, um, hi, uh, that's my husband's car. And she says, I don't know what you're talking about. And I say, but that's my husband's car. And she says, well, I guess you'll just have to talk to him about that. And I say, you know, give me a break. I've been married to the guy for five years, and that's my husband's car. Where's my husband? And right at that moment, he rounds the corner with an overnight bag. And I say, you know, I think we need to talk. <laughs> And he says, where do you want to talk? And I say, how about across the street in my apartment? <laughs> he convinces me that it is not a physical affair, but a spiritual one. <laughs> and a dear friend says, Trisha, that's worse. Plus, he's lying to you. <laughs> we start going to marriage counseling, and I plunge into a really scary depression. I'm pacing along the Charles River, crossing the bridges, walking the same circle over and over. I keep looking at my arms because I'm convinced I have sores all over my body. The pain is just oozing out. And I'm just so afraid of being all alone. With the help of heavy medications and a bevy of therapists, I'm able to keep working, which pays my bills and allows me to keep going to art school. And art school is one of the things getting me through this separation. It holds me together and makes me feel valuable. And as an emerging artist, I'm hungry for any opportunities to grow in my work. So when the museum school offers a three-week painting trip to the west of Ireland, I gladly sign up. And, and it's weird, because even though I've got a grandmother named Blaney and a great-grandmother named Sweeney, I've never even really thought much about Ireland, but when I see this class advertised, something inside of me says that I need to go on this trip. Now, I've come to Ireland for mist and rain and tragedy. I'm looking for drama and angst. Instead, the sun shines every day for three straight weeks. <laughs> it's the first time in 20 years there's been a stretch of sunshine for this long. One day it's hotter in Ireland than it is in Greece. My painting class takes place in a small town called Clifton, and as soon as I arrive, I feel expansive. Everything is vast, all I can see is ocean and sky, and with these vistas comes personal clarity. Before I left for Ireland, there was the slightest chance my husband and I would reconcile, but now I realize I can't write this guy a letter, much less be married to him. And after a week of painting around Clifton, we take the ferry to a tiny little island called Inishbofin to paint for a couple days. And I wander off on my own, and I go into this little church, and I say, you know what, God? 
I am so happy to be alone. I don't want a husband. I don't even want a boyfriend. All I want is to be making art. And I mean this with every bone in my body. Later that night, I'm standing on one of those Irish stone walls watching this amazing sunset, and I'm having a hard time getting off the wall because I have these pretty but stupid shoes on, and things look a little precarious. And out of the blue, this voice says, do you need a hand? And I look down, and there's this incredibly handsome Irish guy. And I'm confused since I just announced how happy I am to be alone. His name is Eric, and he's from Dublin, and he wasn't even planning to come to Inishvafen. His, he was near Clifton kayaking with a friend, and then a school of dolphins came into the bay, and Eric's friend taught him how to purposely capsize so he could watch the dolphins swim underwater and then ride himself. And as soon as Eric knew that maneuver, it was safe for him to do a seven-mile sea crossing to Inishbothen. <laughs> so when Eric asked me if I need a hand, I say, Yes, <laughs> I do need a hand. And he helps me off the wall, and we start walking up to the pub, and his friends and my friends from the class visit, and there's all sorts of electricity in the air. And after a while, my group decides to head back to the hotel, and one of my artist friends says, Trisha, you really ought to flirt with that Eric guy. He's really cute. And I say, no, no, I'm very happy to be alone. <laughs> but then I run into Eric again, because it's a really small island, and after a day or two of getting to know each other, he says, it's a shame you have to go back to Clifton so soon. And he asks me to stay on Inishbofen after the rest of my group leaves. And I say, okay. <laughs> and then when he gets back to Dublin, he calls me and says he wants to come see me in Clifton before I head back to the States. And again, I say, okay. Uh, because no one has ever driven across a country to see me before, <laughs> albeit a small one, and this makes an impression. <laughs> and when he gets there, he says, you know, it's a shame that you have to go back to the States so soon, and this time I say without skipping a beat, you know, I don't have to. <clears throat> so I stay an extra three days, and we travel all around the west of Ireland, and it's magical, but I look at this as just a really nice bonus to an already fabulous trip. As soon as I get back to Boston, I know two things. I want to be an artist full time, and I want to come back to the west of Ireland because I think that's the only place I can make that transformation. So in one week, I quit my job, sell my car, divorce my husband, get rid of my apartment, cash out all my retirement savings, and return to Ireland with a bunch of art supplies but no foreseeable income exactly two months after coming home from my first trip. I tell everybody I'm going for six months, but I can't shake the feeling it's going to be a lot longer. I settle in Clifton because that's where I know, and I'm writing and painting and slowly transforming into the artist I want to be. I see Eric every two months, then every month, then every weekend. He shows up, he keeps his word, and I am not used to this at all. I stay in Ireland longer than six months, which makes my family nervous. My brother asked me, you're not going to stay in Ireland and marry some guy named Seamus, are you? <laughs> and I say, no, I have no intention of marrying anytime soon because I like being alone, but I am dating a guy named Eric and that seems to be going well. And Eric's family is a little nervous too, and who can blame him? Blame them. He's dating a divorced American Protestant who is seven years older than he is, which of course is every Irish Catholic family's dream for their son. <laughs> 
After two years, we decide it makes sense for me to move to Dublin. And I intentionally don't live with Eric because I'm not ready to totally share my life again. But Dublin's a tough transition. I can't find a real job since I don't have a work permit, and I'm scared to death of being deported. I've long ago run out of my retirement savings, and I've sold everything I have to sell. There's no money, but lots of stress, and I'm not sure how much longer I can stay in Ireland. One night, after just a couple months, I say to Eric, it's too hard. It's just too hard. The next morning, my brother calls and tells me that my father died suddenly during the night, and things get harder. I can't get home until the next day, which is excruciating. Eric never leaves my side. He holds me and makes me endless cups of tea and rubs my back while I sob. People keep suggesting I take a sleeping pill, and I say, no, I can't take a sleeping pill because if Daddy comes to me in my dreams, I'll miss him. And Eric says, well, that makes sense to me. So he draws me a hot bath instead and bathes me and puts me to bed. We finally fly home for the funeral, and somewhere over the Atlantic, out of the blue, Eric looks at me and says, will you marry me? which under the circumstances is a little surprising. I just blink at him in disbelief and then I say, do you mind if we bury daddy first before we talk about this? And a few days later I say, yes, I will marry you. I always say that God took daddy on a Saturday and gave me Eric on a Sunday. And even though the timing of Eric's proposal seems crazy, it, it actually makes a lot of sense because now I know sometimes death brings us new life.